0: My name's Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. You know, this is a very full day (laughs) in the life of this church. And honestly, it's kind of an unusual day, uh, an interesting day, if you will. It's unusual because it's both the fourth Sunday of Advent, and in just like two hours from now, we'll do like a quick change-o, and it'll be Christmas Eve, (laughs) so full of lots of... uh, Uh, candles and carols and and the joy that all of that brings. You know, this only happens about once every six years or so when the fourth Sunday of Advent falls on a Sunday that is also Christmas Eve. And so um, it makes a great day of worship um, all day long for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, during this Advent uh, season, we've been in a sermon series called God With Us. And we've been looking at different ways that God is indeed with us, that he came to be with us. Because in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us, God came to be among us. And today we're looking at the ways that God is with us in ministry. You know, from the very beginning of creation, we were created to live in perfect relationship with God to worship God and to serve God. And of course, the fall of mankind there in the garden kind of messed that up a lot. Um, a lot. Um, but God created a way. He called a people to be his own in Abraham. And then later through Moses, he began to shape his people. And followers of God throughout time, have used their talents in service to God and to others. God has always wanted to live in the midst, right in the middle of his people. He's wanted to be with us. In fact, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we see God strolling through the garden in the cool of the day, calling to Adam and Eve, Come be with me. Where are you? Again, the fall of mankind kind of messed up that closeness that we were created to have with God. But God set a plan of action in Moses through Abraham and Sarah. And then many years later, after Moses had led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, while they were still wandering in the wilderness, God began to give his people some rules to live by, some commandments to live by, so they could be obedient and live in relationship with God and each other. Now, we know that God showed up and made himself known to Moses, didn't he? There was that big burning bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. God would be with Moses in, in clouds and, and fire, but he'd not really made himself known to all the people. But God wanted this to change. And so God began to give Moses some instructions to build a tabernacle. Now a tabernacle is kind of a a portable uh, sanctuary, if you will, that can be uh, set up and, and you can worship and then it can be packed up and you can move it with you. God wanted to be in the midst of his people And so every time God would call his people to move on throughout the wilderness, this tabernacle could be packed up. God would move with them, and then they would um, continue to worship in a new spot. God told Moses to tell the people in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And then for the next five chapters of Exodus, God gives some very, very detailed instructions for how to build the tabernacle and all of the furnishings that would go in it as an act of service, as an act of worship to God. And each person among the Israelites was to bring their own gifts and to use their talents and their giftings to do the very best that they could in the building of the tabernacle as an act of service and worship to God. Moses said to the people, come all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And the Lord has given both him and Oholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills To others, the Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers. The Lord has gifted Bezalel, Aholiab, and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle. Just as the Lord has commanded. And so while the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, the presence of the Lord was with them in the tabernacle. And then, years later, when they had finally entered and settled in the promised land, and when the kingdom had been secured by King Saul and then David and then Solomon, a more permanent temple was built in Jerusalem. And the presence of God was with the people as he dwelt in the Holy of Holies. That most sacred, most uh, holy inner room of the temple where the high priest was allowed to go only one day of the year. It was King Solomon who finally built the temple. And when it was completed, the Ark of the Covenant was carried into the into this temple with all of the sacred furnishings from the tabernacle, and they were put inside this place of worship. The priests carried the ark to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, to that most holy place, and they put it under the wings of the cherubim. And just listen to what happened next in 1 Kings 810 to 11 where it tells us, when the priests... Withdrew from the holy place. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priest could not perform the service because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. God came and dwelt in the midst of the people. In the holy of holies in the Jerusalem temple. But it still wasn't like all of the people had access to God in fact, as I said, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was only one day per year on the Day of Atonement. And so it went on like that for years and years and years. The priests carried out the service of the temple. The sacrifices were carried out day after day after day, and God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. But all during that time, there was so much disobedience among the people they continued to turn away from God they were sinful and and no amount of sacrifices could ever take care of their sin in a permanent way and so God sent the prophets to warn the people he warned them worship God and God only be obedient to my commandments but they didn't and one day God had had enough. Even his presence was taken from the temple. The prophet Ezekiel saw the presence of God. He saw the glory of God depart from the temple in Jerusalem. The prophet says in Ezekiel ten eighteen to 19, then the glory of the Lord departed over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched the cherubim spread, ...their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel was above them. God's holiness required that he leave the temple. His people had defiled the temple so much with their sinful ways... They were practicing idolatry right there in the house of the Lord. They were bowing down to false gods even in the temple. And so the glory of God, the the presence of God left the temple. That is what God had to do because God could not dwell in the midst of sin. But that doesn't mean that it was God's desire to leave. No, God desires to live in close relationship, in close proximity to his people. That never changes. God loves his people. God loves you, all of you, all of us here today. And so God made a way. Two Sundays ago, you remember, we talked about how God wants to settle down right inside of us. That God doesn't want to just visit us briefly now and again. He doesn't want to just occasionally show up and be with us for a minute or two. He wants to move in. He wants to stay. He wants to make his home in our hearts. You see, God wants us to be the temple. God wants to live inside of us. So yes, the prophets of the Old Testament warned the people about being disobedient to God. And yes, they warned the people about God abandoning the temple and destroying the people and the land. But the prophets also spoke of the coming of the Messiah. They spoke of the day when a whole new way of relating to God would be possible because of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. You see, the Messiah would make it possible to restore the relationship between God and the people that had been broken so long ago in the garden. Because you see, there is nothing that is irreparable with God. No, God is a God who is making all things new. The prophet Isaiah wrote some of the most beautiful and poetic verses about the coming of Messiah. We heard some of them as Bob and Beth shared them with us in the Advent reading this morning. God's desire wasn't just to restore Israel. It wasn't just to live in close proximity with Israel. But God wanted to gather all the people of the world to himself in the coming of the Messiah. Listen again to Isaiah's words from chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant... To bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant. To restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Friends, that is good news that is meant for all the people. You see, the ministry of Jesus the Messiah inaugurates in a new realm, a a new kingdom, which is full of good news for everyone. And listen to how Isaiah describes this good news in chapter 61. These are the exact same words that Jesus himself used to describe his ministry and his mission He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read these words in the synagogue of his hometown of Nazareth. One Sabbath day he visited the synagogue there and he was asked to read the day's reading. And it was this passage from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the words of this prophecy began to be fulfilled from the very beginning of Jesus' life. For you see, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ the Messiah, saw people begin to serve in new And startlingly personal ways, right from the conception. As the angel Gabriel gave Mary the news that she would conceive and bear a son, it was the Holy Spirit that made that possible. And Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, pregnant herself with John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the baby leapt in her womb when when Elizabeth saw Mary, who was bearing the Savior of the world. Joseph listened to the voice of the angel of the Lord who appeared to him, and he was obedient to God, and he faithfully took Mary to be his wife and to serve as Jesus' earthly father. The shepherds were astonished to see the night sky outside of Bethlehem lit up like it was daytime, and a chorus of the heavenly host announced the birth of the Savior And so they excitedly ran to Bethlehem to see for themselves what had happened and taken place. And they were filled with the Spirit, and they left that place and ran and became the very first evangelists, telling anyone who would listen about the birth of the Messiah. Yes, this news was indeed for all the people, for three kings came from afar following a star, to see what was happening in Bethlehem. And they became the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. And they offered him their gifts, and they bowed down and worshipped. Mary served in ministry to God Most High as the mother of the Lord Jesus. Joseph served in ministry to God as he served his wife Mary and as the earthly father of Jesus. The shepherds served in ministry to God by sharing the good news about Jesus with the people of the town of Bethlehem and the surrounding countryside. And the three kings served God by worshiping Jesus and by taking the news of what had happened to the Gentile world and even by protecting this newborn baby as they returned home by a different road so as to avoid King Herod, who wanted to harm this newborn baby king. You see, they all served in ministry, and they all humbly submitted to God to use their gifts as best they could. This is the same attitude with which Jesus did his earthly ministry. And it's how Jesus instructed the disciples to serve in Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew tells us that Jesus came to earth to do two things, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we begin to follow Jesus, he empowers us for a life of service. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we will want to follow his example and serve other people. And we never serve on our own. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was with Jesus. It is that spirit that empowers us to serve in fruitful ways. Jesus reminded his disciples that they were to remain in him as he was in them because without him they couldn't do anything. And he used the example of a vine and its branches to illustrate how he is the vine. And we, as the branches, need to stay connected to him. We have to stay connected to him so that we'll grow, so that we'll produce good fruit. He was telling the disciples, and he is telling us even today, how the Holy Spirit will be with us in ministry. In the text that we've been using during this series... Jesus expands on this idea for us. Hear what he has to say in John 14, 10 to 17. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. What an amazing promise Jesus gives us, Jesus promises to send someone who will be there for us, who will be with us, the advocate to help us, to be with us forever, and not even just to be with us, but to live in us. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is truly God, and the advocate is with us forever, unlike God's presence, which seemed to come and go at times from the temple in Jerusalem. And unlike Jesus, whose physical presence was with us for 33 years while he walked on this earth, the Holy Spirit is our constant companion. God with us right now. Thank God. Amen. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us live holy and godly lives The Holy Spirit teaches us the things of God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of everything that Jesus ever said. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer to use in the service of God and of others. The Apostle Paul writes about it. He tells us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 4. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines Now, in verse 1, Paul tells us the reason that he wanted to write about the spiritual gifts, and that's because he did not want us to be uninformed about them. He wanted us to know about them. So, you see, it's important that we know what they are. It's important that we know what our spiritual gifts are. And it's even more important that we know why our gifts have been given to us and what we are to do with those gifts I think the best way to sum it up is to say the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every Christian for the common good. Do you hear that? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every Christian for the common good. Now, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and that includes the spiritual gifts gifts which the Holy Spirit picks out uniquely for each and every one of us and lovingly bestows on each and every one of us when we become believers in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Every single Christian has at least one of these gifts, but more likely several of the spiritual gifts. But no one Christian has all of them. And that's why we need each other. That's why we're meant to work together because it takes all of the gifts, all of us working together to be whole, to be full, for the body to be complete. I think that this Christmas, the greatest gift that we can give to Jesus is allow him to use us as the means through which he reveals himself to the world, a world that so desperately needs to see his power that so desperately needs to see his kindness, that so desperately needs to hear his truth, that so desperately needs to see his love on display. Because when the world sees us serving Christ and serving each other within our giftedness, working together in unity, being one in Christ Jesus, then, then, The world will be drawn to Jesus, both to the babe in the manger and to the soon and coming victorious king. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us to serve others in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Oh God, creating God, we give you thanks that you created us to live in perfect relationship with you that that was your plan and your purpose from the very beginning in the garden. And we thank you that that's never stopped being your greatest desire. Never, ever, and it never will. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you left your throne in heaven and put on flesh and became one of us, that you walked among us and taught us how we need to be connected to you, how we need to stay in you, how we need to serve like you serve. To announce good news to the poor and to help those who are broken and to restore this world into the image of the kingdom of our God. And Holy Spirit, how could we ever express enough how grateful we are to you that you come to live inside each and every one of us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord? thank you for making your home in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for instructing us and reminding us and teaching us of everything we need to know. Thank you for giving so generously your spiritual gifts upon each one of us. And thank you that together we are so much more than we could ever be on our own. That these gifts are not for us to use for our sake, but they are used to be used for your sake and for the sake of the common good of the world. So, Jesus, we offer the only thing we have to offer you, and that's our very lives, our very hearts, our yes to you. Come and make your home in us. Come and use us to build your kingdom on earth and show others your power, your glory, your kindness, your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.